This is Dan Gore. Welcome to the Icons Podcast. For more than 30 years, I've been involved in the art of female impersonations and celebrity impersonations. I've worked with some of the most amazing performers in our history. I've traveled around the world, producing and directing shows for corporate events, casting for TV and movies. But most impressive of all is getting to know some of the most amazing people ever to grace our industry. Best known to many as the art of drag. I've worked with and become friends with some of history's finest that have paved the way for many of today's current and upcoming performers. This is our chance to learn more about our drag history. This is Icons, Incredible Creations on Stage podcast. Hello there, this is Dan Gore with Icons podcast. And today's guest, wow, what can I say about today's guest? I really got into her when I was searching for a Lady Gaga impersonator. I knew about this individual, but then I just went into this click hole on YouTube when I searched for a Lady Gaga impersonator and he came up and I started watching the videos and I'm like, oh gosh, he really looks like Lady Gaga. And then when the audio started, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so funny. And I know you're going to enjoy him. He is legendary when it comes to drag, especially the New York scene. But I mean, internationally, so many people know him. I want you all to welcome my very special guest, Miss Sherry Vine. Hi, Sherry. Hi, how are you? It's such a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you, darling. You're so sweet. I love the intro. You're like, what can I say about this? Well, you could say the bitch was a half hour late. <laughs> <laughs> We're just so not like me. So I, I apologize. And thank you guys for waiting. I literally thinking about it all day. And then it's like one of those things where I was cleaning the house all day and I sat down to watch TV. I just put TV. I'm like, it's wine time. It's six o'clock. And I'm like, oh my God, it's six o'clock. Well, I followed you. I, I followed you for a while because of the whole, I mean, I, on the West Coast, I was totally into uh, Jackie P, which I know you're like connected the hips with. I know Jackie was in New York for a while, but you're always based in New York. And I think maybe you might be on the West Coast now, but. I moved to LA a year and a half ago and I was in New York for 20 seven years. Wow. Wow. So let's yeah. start there. You're not a native New Yorker from my little research I did to dig up stuff on you. You're from Florida. Well, I was born in Florida, but I left when I was six months old. So I didn't grow up there. My parents were both at the University of Florida, uh, where I was born. And then we moved to Baltimore. So I grew up in Maryland. Wow. Okay. And as a, as a youngster, what was your aspirations? Were you thinking, because I think for some research I did, you wanted to be an actor originally, like an actor? Yes. All I could think about growing up was I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, but yes, I, it's all I've ever wanted to do. It's all I've ever done. I've been performing my entire life. As long and as in school, I'm, in school, were you doing theater? I was in theater <clears throat> from really from as soon as I could certainly in high school and then in college of course majoring in theater but in high school that's all I did and middle school most of middle school I was in some form of kids on stage like this group for you know kids and then I went to teens on stage <laughs> and so I've always been performing I was taking dance classes singing classes which is shocking but I was taking voice lessons and um I was playing Little League Baseball and my dad was driving me home and he was like, are you having fun? And I was like, mm, not really. He's like, you don't have to do it. Don't do it if you're not having fun. I'm like, okay, I don't think I want to do it. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was like, okay, okay, let's find you a tap dancing class. So I'm very lucky to have these ultra supportive parents but that's literally my mom will say that I used to point at Carol Burnett on the TV very young and be like that's what I want to do 
And so were you looking at women at the time and thinking you wanted to do something no. like that? Or when did the whole drag thoughts come into your head? It wasn't looking really, it wasn't specifically looking at women. I think I was, I've always been drawn to things that were more over the top, like Paul Lynn, Charles Nelson Rod. So yes, they're kind of, you know, very gay, of course, but things that were over the top. I was never kind of, the thought of playing like the straight quote, I'm using quotes, like not heterosexual, but like- Comic wise. Comic wise, man, never appealed to me. And- um, <clears throat> But you pursued, like you was you were pursuing a career as a, in a, a male actor. Yeah. Originally. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even as a kid playing- dress up and stuff. Sometimes I'd be like, I'm going to be the mom. And then it's just like, I'm going to be the policeman. You know, so it wasn't like gender specific. I just like the idea of dressing up and playing. So whether I was the doctor or the secretary or whatever, like it just kind of never entered my stream of consciousness of the gender. When you were growing up, had you ever seen a uh, a man in a dress that in- inspired you and made you think about I that? I remember watching like Flip Wilson with my parents and when he would do Geraldine, just being like, that's the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> but I don't think that that's what planted the drag seed. It wasn't until I was in college, really kind of dived more into like analysis of plays and stuff and really reading them, studying them. So like if I would read Streetcar Named Desire, I'd be like, Blanche is the fun part. I want to play Blanche. I mean, I don't want to be Stanley. I didn't even like ever enter my mind that I would play Stanley. And so that's when I kind of knew like, well, that's not going to happen because I'm a man. I'm not going to play Blanche. So let me focus on something. And then when I was in graduate school, which I did go to out here to USC, Anna DeVere Smith was one of my teachers one semester, who's an amazing- uh, And so before you get into that, so graduate school, how did that come about to go to USC? Because that's not something that really just happens. (laughs) Or is it? Well, I went to- me here. (laughs) No, I I went to- That's a big uh, deal to go there. Yes. I was going to undergrad at the University of Maryland. And like I said, I- I had to get out of Maryland. I mean, it just, especially at that time, it was, I was bullied like relentlessly and it was just very hard. And so even when I was in college where I wasn't bullied and I was actually now celebrated for being a freak, I wanted to get, I knew I wanted to get out of Maryland and all my life I wanted to be in Hollywood. My plan was to get to Hollywood. The real story is that my grades were so bad in high school because I was so traumatized by having to be there that I zoned out. I just never paid attention. I my grade- why, why, why was that? So that's, I did not like school at all. Like I, was, I can I cannot wait to get out of high school and no longer have to educate myself. Like I wanted to learn from the streets. So what was your issue about school? Like what were you zoned I out? I was, just, I was bullied. So okay really bad very 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 bad and it, and i just never said anything like i if i had told my parents what was really going on they would have pulled me out but i think maybe in my mind and i don't know this consciously it's easier to look back i think maybe in my mind i was like knew if i had said something it would be having to admit that i was might be gay do you know what i mean that you you coming out was later i was 19 okay. so all through high school i was just kind of like everything's great when it was horrifying, wow. I mean, I lived in fear the entire time, literally. And I'm not trying to be melodramatic. It was horrifying. So when I got to college, all of a sudden things changed. And 
everybody, everything that I was made fun of in high school, three months later in college, people are like, oh my God, he's so cool. He's so weird. He's so fun. So it was very, very, but anyway, I knew I had to get the fuck out of Maryland and I wanted to go to Hollywood. I had to go to school, college in state because my high school grades were so bad. I needed to like clean my slate and start from zero. And I did very well. And then I knew I wanted to go to California. So I auditioned for three schools. One was in on the East Coast and two were Cal State and USC. And I got into Cal State, but as a junior undergrad, they didn't want to take me to their MFA program because I didn't have enough classical experience. But USC accepted me, so I went to USC. And that must have been a big deal for your parents to have that happen, I hope. I mean, they were supportive already, but that's a pretty... They were very, very happy. And yes, they were very supportive. They were very happy. And um, so you get to, and how old are you there? So you're in USC, you're in LA, where you've dreamed of being in Hollywood. And then yeah. how old are you now? 22? So you start letting these creative juices flow there. And, and then is there something, there's a project that casts you as a woman in, at college? Well, or happened, how does that happen? I mean, first of all, grad school was like, quite possibly one of the happiest times of my life. I mean, not like just, it was a really amazing time leaving Maryland and going there. No one knew me. I had a clean slate. I was going to work my ass off, which I did. It was such a great, I mean, you're doing theater from eight in the morning until midnight. And it was (laughs) just, and it was intense because they had cuts. So you didn't know if you were going to be invited back the next semester. And it was very competitive, but fun and I learned so much. Oh my God, I learned so much. And I had a teacher, Anna DeVere Smith, who's this amazing actress. I don't know if she's on Nurse Jackie and she does theater and she's a genius. And we had her for one semester. And she, our assignment was to do two monologues, one that you think you could be cast as and one that you would never, ever get. And I don't even remember what I did as the one I thought I might get, but the one that I knew I would never get was I did a monologue from the play for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow isn't enough. So obviously I'm not going to be cast as a woman of color and certainly in this very political. So anyway, I did that and she pulled me aside and she was like, I think you should explore that meaning playing the leading lady. And so I took that to heart. She was like, look, you're going to have a really hard time in Hollywood. You're not the leading man type. You're not really a nerd. You're not really scary looking. You're, you're going to have to create your own path. And I really heard that and said, okay, that's what I'll do. I always think of when I've, I've done drag twice and the horror, and I, I'm not even, I don't even have aspirations to be, a, you know, perform as a woman, but walking in heels would take me probably decades for me ever to be able to walk like some of these performers walk in heels. So it doesn't take When does that come about where you're like, does that just come naturally when you finally no, put on honey, heels? I worked, I worked my way up to the shoot, the six inch <laughs> stilettos. It did not start off in those at all. And there's a lot of drag queens. Jackie B doesn't wear heels. That's <laughs> And like Alaska doesn't like that. I mean, she was much prefer and adore. There's a lot of drag queens that wear like combat. But there's a lot of drag queens that hate wearing heels. I love because I think they give me the physical transformation that I am looking for. So when do you find the actually, so you, you explore this possible performing as leading lady, lady types, you know, from the teacher suggestion. And when does that start to transform or transpire and creating Sherry? Well, when I graduate, I started Sherry in 1990. So literally 30 years ago. 
And I was playing around with it, like dressing up for fun or whatever, but I didn't really think about performing it until I did a play out of drag in LA. This was right before I moved to New York. And this woman, Robin Skye, was in the show, who's this phenomenal singer. And she sang this version of the Torch song, Black Coffee. And I was like, oh, I want to sing that so bad. I want to sing it. I was like, no one's going to want to look at some skinny gay guy singing this song. I have to do it in drag. So that's the when I started performing in drag was literally because I wanted to sing that song. And right at the very beginning, I met Jackie B. I met Jackie in 1990. I had only been doing drag for like a couple of months. But is this the first, so when you, before you meet Jackie, is there any person that had inspired you or that you saw drag queen wise that you were in LA? So you must've seen a drag queen at a gay bar. Had... There was drag shows at Four Star, which is now Mickey's. And it was Shishi LaRue, Karen Dior, Gender, and some and other queens and I loved watching them but it didn't make me want to do drag and then I saw this dive bar downtown and this was when I mean this was when downtown was pretty very cool. sketchy but, <laughs> pretty, but that was when it was the best time to go down there when it was sketchy <laughs> that was the best I, for all know, the it was cool real sketchy <laughs> and um I saw this queen, Vaginal Cream Davis. Do you know Vaginal Cream Davis? I know, I know of that name, yes. He, That's the first yeah. time I was like, oh, because all the drag I had seen up until that was lip syncing, mm -hmm. glamour, and glamour, which, like I said, I love, and I still love, and I think I'm probably more on that side of the drag I do now than I did in the beginning. But when I saw Vaginal Cream Davis, I was like, oh my God, funny, punk, shocking, outrageous singing live comedy and i was like that's the kind of drag i want to do speaking of karen dior you know karen dior because i would see i was in my teenagers growing up another episode where i talk about when i go to peanuts which yes. is what was bought was kind of during the forest at the end of forest i think penis was, peanuts was around karen dior would perform there a few times and, and i was just i was 15 and completely mesmerized by the whole show i remember karen dior came there and he you use duct tape, obviously, to hide his genitalia. And then he just wore whipped cream, shaving cream. He put shaving cream on his chest right. to cover his nipples and shaving cream in his crotch. And he I put, heels, and he, he put heels on and he came out. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, what am I watching right now? And he, he yes. looks amazing. He's giving you that kind of glamour drag <laughs> way before. I mean, just that was, Maybe. for me, that was pushing the envelope because the rest of the girls who were like g-strings or you know clothes peanuts, though, peanuts had yeah. some amazing i had some good times there there was a queen that i was friends with this i haven't seen in 30 years but i was really good friends with at the time named viva and viva's on the podcast he was my first really he's my first episode i i did that aired oh yes. my god how is she excellent excellent you know he's a huge collector you know i don't know if he has the biggest collection of uh, movies and, and music. I mean, his whole house is like a record store. That is like, someone that I would love to reconnect with because uh, we had fun together and I always thought he was amazing performer. He's but. kind of retired now and he has amazing stories. You know, he, I mean, he just peaked, you know, he toured with Gloria Stefan. He right. went all over the world with Gloria Stefan, you know, and he's got great stories about Madonna and the, the so yeah, you have to listen to it. It was a really, and I, that's what's so funny is when I was going to Peanuts, you know, I thought, 
I was 15. I would drive an hour and a half from my high school and high school friends. And I thought all these people, I had I had never seen a drag queen before. So I thought these people were actually the stars. So when I saw Viva Do Madonna, you know, burning up and everything, I'm like, oh my God, they're all performed here because I was so mesmerized <laughs> by, by Hollywood. I thought, oh, that's and, so funny. And the place is completely packed. <laughs> so why wouldn't it be the real stars? I mean, it was it was balls to the ball. You couldn't even move. You have to go to the bathroom. Right. You might as well just pee on the floor. But there was some you- four star, I think West Hollywood's kind of its own thing. And the rage, rest in peace, but the rage, I have to say at that time, I remember they wouldn't let Jackie and I in. And that was happening in a couple, a couple places, absolutely. So yeah. we would, you know, Peanuts was amazing. The Chanel twins, oh my God, honey, girl, I've got story. I could tell you stories about those bitches. We had some fun. And of course I was, you know, Alexis Arquette and Candy yeah. Ass and um, then Drag Strip. I, I never got to go there, but I always heard that was like the cool hip, place oh, to get into once a month right so once a cool. month that was so much fun it was that was when i really was like i'm i'm a drag queen uh <laughs> so was drag strip i got i got us off track so you you get and you see vagil cream davis and then you eventually meet jackie beat where do you meet jackie beat at true story i worked i worked at this coffee shop on santa monica boulevard next to near revolver because revolver has been there for yeah decades yeah um, called the Six Gallery. Now, this, mind you, this is before Starbucks or coffee houses. It was like, what's a cappuccino? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was like the beginning of that. Certainly, it was the, there was nothing like that. Anyway, anyway I worked there making fucking lattes. And I went in one night to say hi. And I was in drag. I said, Jackie Beat is sitting at a banquette. Someone is, someone was like, oh, you have to meet each other. Da, da, da. And they introduced us. And this is true. I sat down and she said a line from the movie Carrie. <laughs> and I said the next line. And she said the next line. And it went back and forth. And we fell in love. <laughs> so you were in drag already. Were you coming from a stint or like how or dressing in drag? What was that from that night that you met um, I was roommates with Candace Kane. Because, well, I worked at Six Gallery and met Jackie. And then I was working at the French Market, also rest in peace. And Candace worked there. That's where I met Candace. Candace needed a place to live. I had an extra bedroom and Candace moved in. And then we moved to New York together. Wow. Another brilliant, a brilliant performer. Oh, I know. And so the the fact that 30 years later, Jackie's still my best friend and Candace is one of the dearest people to me was, you know, I'm just so blessed like to have these same friends for so long. But anyway, the um, Candace and I would get dressed up and just go out for fun. Sure, sure. And I didn't really start performing in LA and drag until probably right before I moved to New York. So like 90, 91, drag strip, club buck, peanuts, cinematic. It was more like the alternative gay scene, not West Hollywood. I never... I've never performed at Rage in my life. Or, because you know. those clubs were the ones that were alternative in the sense that they would let the queens in because they weren't really worried about an ID. A lot of the places that I would go with my queen friends, if they didn't have an ID in drag, they weren't getting in. So it's like- well, Yeah, plus I feel like it, like Club Fuck is a good example of here you have a club that's you know really about gay men that it's tattooed and piercings and Ron Athey used to perform there all the time. And the music was like, you know, KMFDM and like this, I don't even know what you would call it, electronic, I don't know. But it was the alternative fringe gay side. They were all in silver like And the drag that I did then wasn't what I would call pretty. 
<laughs> you know, I didn't wear breasts. I didn't shave my legs. I didn't worry about trying to be pretty as much as I just wanted to kind of be funny. So I was hired a lot at those places to perform and drag. They loved it. And this is prior to Club Fuck you're talking about in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This was right before I moved to New York. Awesome. And the Jackie Beat friendship, did you know, did you go home and try to find out who Jackie Beat is? Or did he tell you who he is no. at the time? Oh, or? Of course she, honey. She tells everybody who she is. <laughs> of course, the minute, the minute we met, we were, that night, we were inseparable. And I'm not kidding. We were in, we were hung out. We'd wake up and we were hanging out together. <laughs> and we were always working on a show and nothing has changed. We started performing at, Highways. Highways, okay. Tim Miller's Highways. That was like total performance art space. And it was in Santa Monica. And then we performed at Lace a lot, which was downtown LA. And more St. Genesius Theater, which was on Santa Monica Boulevard. Well, you, you said performing, He was. Were you guys were writing piece, parody pieces together or? We were writing shows together. We were writing skits. We both sang. And there really wasn't... I don't know if I should say anything because I'm not taking credit for inventing the genre, but there wasn't really that kind of drag happening in LA at that time. Beyond the whole lip sync, look how no, pretty, we writing, pretty I am. Yeah. We were writing, before we wrote full length shows, we would even write like a 10 minute sketch. And this is before YouTube. So you'd have these 10 minute sketches oh, and you would do these short pieces live at clubs or theaters? Clubs, theaters. There were so many different performance spaces at the time. Yeah. And did you sell ticket, basically? I mean, that's how, or people, people would just, would show, just up. show up. Yeah, when we did stuff at St. Genesius, that was a, that's a proper theater. And then people would buy tickets, yeah. Was it always a plan that you would go back to New York? What brought you back to no. New York? Um, New York was not part of the plan. What happened was, um, sorry, two of my best friends from Maryland had gone to school in different places and moved to New York. They wanted to start a theater company and I had been telling them about the drag I was doing and all this. And my friend Doug was like, I'm writing a play and we're starting a theater company and you need to be here. You're playing the leading lady. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll come and see how it goes, which I did. And then I just, I stayed and we started Theater Couture, which was our theater company. So do you, you still, in New York, you're still pursuing like the, the comedy part of drag? It starts growing, progressing as far as the singing and... Well, I would say the first year I was there, I still was not married to the idea of being a professional drag queen. It was going to be my sidekick and I was still going to audition and be a movie star. <clears throat> but, you know, New York is very different than LA. It's about theater. And after getting up at 6.30 in the morning to go stand in line to audition for the road show of some musical, I was like, fuck this. I'm going to really commit to being performing in drag to commit to Sherry Vine and to this theater company. And I just, you know, here I have this, this platform where I can be the star, the leading lady. I don't want to be in the chorus of some road show of some musical. <laughs> and so why am I fighting this? And then once I embraced it, then that's, yeah, everything started clicking. And you weren't having fun, like the baseball analogy. <laughs> you weren't having fun. You weren't having I was fun. not <laughs> having fun doing that. And I was having a fucking blast doing our plays. So the Sherry Vine, the name itself, how did you come about? Is that a name that you come up with or someone says, you got to be this? Well, I came up with Sherry with a friend of mine who helped me. He did my hair and makeup the first year that I did drag. And... We came up with the name Sherry and I was just Sherry for 
a while. And then this guy, John, that I worked with at the French Market was like, girl, there's this apartment building on Vine Street just above Hollywood called the Sherry. And I was like, really? And I drove up there and, you know, Hollywood and Vines, people that had never been there anyway, in their mind, it's still like 1940s glamour, (laughs) which it isn't, of course, but that's the facade. So I drove up Vine Street and there's an apartment building called the Sherry and it looked like a busted crack whorehouse. And I was like, perfect. So the Vine is from Vine Street. Awesome. So the, you're in New York, you're Sherry Vine, the theater couture group is happening. And tell me again, who's involved in that? Is it people we know today? My friend Douglas, who wrote, he was the writer, the playwright, he passed away in 95. So pretty early. And then my friend Joey Gross. So it was the three of us, Josh, my friend Josh Rosenzweig, who I had worked with here in LA, we were, he, he would fly come to New York to direct the plays and then come back home to LA. Well, after Doug died, I really wanted to continue with theater couture. So Josh and his boyfriend, then Eric Jackson, who is a writer, they moved to New York and we really kind of took theater couture onto like a different level. And what was one of the first projects you guys worked with with that company? The first show we ever did was The Bad Weed 73, which was our parody of The Bad Seed. And I was the mother. Mistress Formica was Little Rhoda Penmark. Um, Bobby Miller was in it. And then Jackie Beat was in it eventually. And it was just this big underground hit. So we knew right away, like after the first night, we were like, we're on to something. And again, I can't take it's any credit for the genre. I mean, we were very obviously following in the footsteps of Charles Ludlam, Charles Bush, and it, it was maybe a little edgier. I don't know if that's the right word. It was definitely darker and more twisted. I mean, we we're making horrible jokes, things that I actually wanted to do a movie version of The Bad Weed last year. And so Jackie and I were like, yeah, let's do it. It's so funny. It's perfect. Let's do a short film. It will get Alaska to play your daughter, da, da, da. Well, we watched it and I was like, oh my God, we can't do this anymore. You can't say this. You can't, in the play, every single character ends up having sex with Rhoda, who's seven years old. Okay, so what was funny 30 years ago is not not anymore. (laughs) Not that saying that, suggesting that that's funny. I'm just saying in the context of this play, it was politically incorrect, but that was a different time. And you just, you, we literally watched the videotape and we were like, nope. What can you recall what the first hit is? We said, so you know you have a bit you have a big hit with this the, the bad weed. So what's the next project? Or what's the next project that actually becomes bigger than the bad weed? Is there another one? Or you have continued success with equal no success? They, they kind of just kept growing. That we did the bad weed all over for like a year. The next one was um, ESP Eyes of a Supermodel Psychic, which we moved into a larger space. And that was kind of that was our mashup parody of the Eyes of Laura Mars meets Mahogany. <clears throat> and again, like I question whether we could do that now. I mean, we lifted a lot of the s- scenes and dialogue and did parodies of stuff from Mahogany. So like, could I play Diana Ross now? I didn't obviously I didn't do the look. I was you know, playing Sherry Vine, but whatever. Um, And then we did this, we decided let's do something completely classical. And we did Lucretia Borgia, which was 
another big hit. And then we moved to PS122, which was like an even bigger theater. It was a very famous performance art space. It's still there. It's where the Blue Man Group started. Karen wow. Finley, like the Laurie Anderson, all the big people, the 80s performance art. So we moved there with a show that I wrote because it was the year that Doug died and we needed to do a show. So I wrote it, it was called Kitty Killer. And then the next year was the big, big, big one. We did a Charlie, which was kind of Charlie's Angels, but they worked for Charlie Manson. <laughs> and you know what? Again, I don't think we could do that. I mean, there was, I mean, he, you know, he dies and we weren't trying to really glamorize the Mansons, of course, but it's a, it's hard to even articulate that kind of humor, like that irony, the camp. It's the only show that my mom wouldn't go see because because she's like, there's nothing funny about the Mansons. And I'm like, it's not funny. And I'm like, well, maybe she's got a point. I don't know. Anyway, that was such a huge hit. The, the first time the New York Times ever came to that space to see any show at all. And so, who, el who else was in the show? So you wrote you wrote this and did you have well, other queens I didn't write in the show? Charlie was Eric okay. Jackson. That was the first one Eric wrote. And it was me, Mistress Formica, Candace Kane, and Justin Vivian Bond played the villainess. We had original songs, original music, choreography. It was just, and it was so outrageously funny. And Kevin Adams did all of our sets back then, who is now like a four-time Tony Award winner. Wow. And yeah, it was just a really, really special, special time. With Candace Kane and, and the Justin, do you think that the universe is just sending you these people that have mutual talent as you do? Or did you find it hard to find people? Is it people just falling in your lap with talent like Jackie and Candace and Justin? Well, or were you I'm out afraid. searching for people? I was never searching, no. But I'm a firm believer that certain people are brought into your life for a yeah. reason. Hence the reason why I'm still friends with these people 30 yes. years later. And it's, and then when you're blessed to have this kind of connection with someone, then you just have to do everything you can to hold on to it. I mean, of course, if it's so toxic that the scale tips, then you get cut that shit out of your life. But I remember going to see Justin Vivian Bond playing with Kenny. So it was Kiki and Herb at 88s, which was this piano bar in, in um, the West Village, which is no longer there. And all I could think of the whole show sitting in the audience was like, how the fuck do I get to work with this person? <laughs> and I'm very, very famous drag queen. And I'm not going to say who. Very, very big, very famous drag queen. Pulled me aside one night in the early 90s. And I was like, you shouldn't be working with these other queens. And I was like, what do you mean? You're the star. <laughs> and I was so kind of like, you don't get it at all. I want to be surrounded by people that I think are talented. It's not a contest mm -hmm. and it's not about me. It's about the show. I want the, the best show. So for this part, I want the best fucking person that can play mm -hmm. that part. And that's mm -hmm. gotta be Justin Bond. And this part has to be Candace Kane. I want the Jackie beat, you know, I want to be surrounded by people who elevate me. So I've really thought that was very old school, but that was, you know, she was really serious. Like you should not be. Well, it's a lot of mindset like that. So, you know, especially it's driven by, by, you know, in my opinion, it's driven by corporate and it's driven by people that want to make the most money out of one person and not several people. 
on one ticket. You know, it's like, oh, you're the star. Let's make you the star. Let's make all the money with you. I, I feel that when I look at the group you're, you're surrounded with, I'm always thinking it's like the alumni or this like SNL group of actors that just continue to progress and to succeed because it is that group that world of talent that keeps staying together. You know, that's yeah. how I see it when I when yes. I look at all you guys. And not just, you know, the the performers. We had a set designer, Mark Happel, who's now with the ball- the New York City Ballet, the American Ballet, sorry, American Ballet Theater. He uh, doing costumes and Bobby Miller doing the wigs. And so there's this whole company. And it's like, how lucky, you know, am I to have found this, you know, group of people who are on the same page. It was really, yeah. really. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's, uh, I, I find it, um, the universe, I think I agree with you about the universe attracting talent, attracting people to be in your life. You know, I, when I have, because I do when and if you do any background on me, you know, I've done many shows for casinos. Uh, you know, we usually focus on our in drag where they impersonate famous cele- female celebrities. And I'd have people come to me that, I would never ask in a million years to work with me and they want to work with me. And I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like, Funny, you're, be- <laughs> you're beyond. And it's just, go see, so you get it. You get it. I want to be involved in a show where people get it and your audience. I get it. I'm still surprised to this day when someone says yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? and, you get, and then even, even, yeah, even asking people to do the podcast, you, get, you never know the answer until you ask someone. So it's like, you know, yeah. I was always thinking, all oh, these people never say yes to me. But in uh, any case, so yeah, it's fascinating stories already. So the the New York stint lasts for you're there for 20 years. Do you have any longing to come to LA? So YouTube starts, obviously. So YouTube breaks into this career well, somewhere. That was a whole other chapter. So yeah. I kind of look at everything as in chapters. Like Theater Couture was the chapter. Mm-hmm. YouTube was a chapter. And now I'm on my next chapter, which mm-hmm. is out here. What happened was... The theater couture does that that never really ends or does it? Yes, it, I think I think so. What happened was, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're like, what you do for fun for no money is different than when you're not in your 20s anymore. We all had to like everybody kind of went on to have to get a you know a career. Gotcha. And I understand. I can yeah. say, I mean, I'm not even I'm not exaggerating when I say I didn't make one penny from a theater couture show. Mm-hmm. We paid the other performers, not a lot, but they got paid. We obviously had to pay for the sets and everything. We never got any grants. It was all money that we raised hustling. And I never made a penny. Good. I, I totally get that. I mean, I've done a constantly, constantly pounding the pavement, asking for money. And when the show's over, when the tickets are done, I've made zero. <laughs> not not now, but back, you know, 20 years ago, it was all about just putting, I just had to get the show on a stage and then we'll worry about making money later. <laughs> Honey, totally. I mean, there was in the early days, we were just like, well, I don't think we're going to pay rent this month. We need this set piece more than we need to pay rent. And that was how we justified not paying rent for a month. (laughs) And I'm not even kidding. And so those are things that you do in your 20s. Yeah. And, so, you, so you mature. And, so the the theater thing. Yeah, I get love. It. Well, you know, Eric went on to have a, a big job, and Josh went on to have a big job, and so it's just like I don't have forty hours, sixty hours a week to give for free to this. You know, whatever. We all kind of went our different ways, sure. and um, the last show we did was such a high that. I don't, I think it was a good time to be like, okay, we can't 
sustain this anymore. Um, we did Stephen King's Carrie, and it was just a really big deal on many, many levels. What happened was we did Charlie, and then in 97, we did Telltale, which was a mashup of Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart and the Dorian Corey story, which was, she was the trans, the queen from Paris is Burning, who passed away. And when they went to clean out her apartment, they found a mummified body. Remember that story? <laughs> that was Telltale. And that one got picked up and moved off Broadway and ran at the Cherry Lane Theater. And that was like a really big deal because we're like, oh my God, we just went off Broadway. It was the same time as Hedvig, which we're around the corner from each other. And it was a really big deal. And this then is a clue that there might be money involved now, possibly then, now that you moved off Broadway, at least zero. Yes. Okay. In theory. Okay. <laughs> in theory i want to say i didn't make any money because i'm pretty sure that uh, i can't remember i know it wasn't i was still like we jackie and i would do the show and then have to go out to limelight or palladium or wherever we were working to make our money I mean. and then that was 97 then we didn't do a show until 2000 we did this show called doll and in 2000 it was like the george bush al gore fiasco. Giuliani was selling New York City to Disney and transforming it. And they were closing gay bars and coming in the middle of the party and just turning the lights on for no, it was very weird fascist. And I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And I moved to uh, Berlin, Germany. That's surprising. I didn't know that part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I lived in Berlin for three years. So 2000, I moved to Berlin. And I. And told the YouTube stuff hasn't started yet? No, no, no. YouTube oh, wow. like 2000. Okay. I moved to Barcelona to, in the summer to work for the summer of 2001. I moved to Berlin on September 8th, 2001. So like three days before September 9th. I told the guys from Theater Couture, I was like, I'm going to Berlin, but the minute you guys want to do another show, I'm going to come home. Well, Eric wanted to do Carrie. He wrote a letter to like Stephen King's literary agent. And they were like, no, like <laughs> literally just no. So like, okay, well, we'll think of something else. And like two months later, he gets an email saying, you know what? Stephen is actually interested. <laughs> we we're like, what? Oh yeah. So we get a call from Stephen King's lawyer saying he wants to know more. The show has not been written, okay? This was just an idea. But we sent him all of our stuff. We're like, a man is gonna play Carrie, um, blah, 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 blah. These are ideas. We're working a lot with Basil Twist, who's the genius puppeteer. He's gonna do the special effects and blah, blah, blah. And we get the letter back saying, from Stephen King saying, this is the best idea. I love it. You have my blessing. So that's, that's yeah. I, I still unprecedented because it's like, there's no way that he can just, you know, look up Google who Sherry Vine is. So obviously they must have asked around someone who these players are, or they just no, thought look, your idea was ingenious, you know? Well, one, the Stephen King world is, I mean, you can't even imagine there's just a hundred different lawyers and agents, like literally. But this went to him and he loved the idea. So now we're dealing with lawyers who are like, you can do this, you can't do that. We weren't allowed to have any musical numbers because someone else owned the rights to the musical. Not even one, no music, no singing anyway, no musical numbers. Okay, fine. So it kind of, this whole thing, but you know, it was a big deal because here, he's never given anyone the right <laughs> to do carry the play ever. And then here, this off, off Broadway drag theater company gets his blessing. Well, it was just, I mean, the so we were only allowed to do it for one month, non-equity. 
that was sold out before the show even opened, like the entire month sold out. And you're still in Berlin. So do you come back? Oh, I'm fuck just... yeah. I was on that <laughs> The minute they were like, we need you on Monday. I was like, I'll be there. And I came <laughs> back. Yeah, I came back. We did carry and it was amazing. I think we got a little disillusioned after that because it was such a massive hit that we wanted to keep doing it and month wasn't long enough, but now we were going to have to be union because we hired all equity actors. We were only granted that one month to do it non-union. And are you using your own funds or do you have a a money person that comes on board or it didn't happen because we had meetings with every money person. I mean, I'm not kidding. This was a big deal. We got a New York times gave us a love letter. It was huge. And the word of mouth about it was epic. We thought in my mind, I was like, girl, I'm going to do it here for a year. And then I'm going to go and do it in London for a year. And da, 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 da. And I'm going to be, you know, this is our head big. And what happened sadly was people from Wicked came and they're like, yes, Wicked, that's a $10 million. We're like, no, 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 no. It's not. We don't want to do a slick Broadway show. We wanted like a hundred thousand dollars to continue doing what we did. Well, you see the strings, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. smoke and mirrors. That's the heart of theater couture. It's not about being slick and CGI. We didn't want to do that. So sadly, it just, this was the time when all the off-Broadway theaters were closing and there wasn't a lot going. There was either you needed to do a $10 show or a $10 million show. There was nothing in the middle. Because this is post 9-11. So that's where we had some... This was 2005. Oh, okay. we're 2005 now. Okay, okay. My apologies. 2004, right. 2005, yes. So sadly, it ended at the end of that month. And I was, we were all kind of devastated. And I think that's why we were just kind of like, oh, well, maybe Theater Couture's run its course. Like then- I literally in my head thought I was going to be playing Carrie for three years. <laughs> When does that depression of Carrie not not taking off change? What changes that perspective? Like eventually. So you, I'm assuming some of you guys are in a depressed, depressive mode. You know, I've always been kind of not one to dwell on that. I mean, I was devastated. I was very devastated. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? Moving on. And YouTube was kind of like a gift. Like that was 2006. We kept trying and trying and meeting with people and trying to get it to go. And it just finally, we were just like, it's not going to happen. And YouTube started, I want to say 2007-ish. So that was just like, oh, okay, new chapter. <laughs> and what is the first video that you upload on, on, on YouTube? Is it a skit or is it actually a parody video? The, no, the first one actually was an original song that I wrote called with my friend Luis called Forbidden Love. And we shot that in Berlin. It's not a parody. It's an original song. And that was the very first thing I uploaded because I had already had it. So as soon as I joined YouTube, I was like, oh, I've already got this music video. Let <laughs> sure. <me put> this <laughs> up. The first parody video we did was I did a parody of Madonna's Four Minutes, I think was the first one. With the Justin Timberlake? I'm going to Google right now. I mean, I can't even remember what year anything is anymore because my mind is going. You know how it's hard to kind of like keep track of dates in your head, the timeline? I do it by, I do it usually by shows. That's why I got a little confused. So with YouTube starting. Maybe that wasn't the first, maybe it was Britney Spears. 
and the writing, the, uh, the, the parody writing, that's all completely you, or sometimes you get was a writer's block and you reach out to other people, or do you have anyone that actually look, do you sleep on it and then look at it the next day and kind of proofread and change things yourself? Or does someone assist you in the, in some of the writing? Well, here's the funny thing. Cause I get asked this all the time. I have been writing parodies way before I was doing Sherry Vine. I started doing writing parodies of songs in high school because I auditioned for a play and I didn't get the part I wanted. So I was like, I'll show them. <laughs> and I wrote a filthy parody of every single song in that show. And I was going to Xerox it and put it in all the programs, which I never did. I've been writing parodies since the beginning of, since high school and mm -hmm. certainly since the beginning of Sherry Vine. So when YouTube came along, I'd already been doing parodies for 15 years, but it was just a vehicle, you know, and a platform to kind of marry these two things that I love doing, parodies and film. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make these music videos. I mean, I have to give credit where credit is due. Jackie did YouTube before I did. And so did this other performer in New York named Mila Jam. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then so when I kind of switched gears, new chapter, I'm devoting all of my time, energy, and money into making these music video parodies. That's how it started. So I can't remember what was first. So maybe it was 2008, because I know four minutes in my Britney Spears parody of Womanizer, both 2008. And then when you were, just to back up just slightly, when you were in Berlin, was there a recording creativity that was going on like were you ever wanting to be in a band or some sort of uh, group? I, was, I did a lot of stuff but Berlin's very special because Berlin has like a long history of drag and drag in Berlin has always been a legitimate art mm -hmm. form where in the United States it hasn't been until RuPaul's Drag Race really kind of legitimized drag but in Berlin it was and I had a band that I worked with I did I performed all over Europe I got to literally see all of Europe, learn a new language, fell in love. I mean, those three years in Berlin were really, really, really fun. But ultimately, I came back because of theater couture, and I knew that I couldn't do what I wanted to do there creatively. When you talk about Drag Race and the United States, just from all the research I've been doing, it seems very interesting how the art of drag continues to be suppressed and then gain momentum to become very popular but you know when you look at when i look at some of the people i've interviewed you know there was a time you know bobby bruno which was someone uh jennifer fox aka jennifer, jennifer fox was on a syndicated show in the late 70s that all of america saw in drag and you just won't you don't see that still to this day a major conservative show have a drag queen with her mother talking <laughs> about talking about being mrs gay america so right. when i do this research it's still very weird to think way back then it seems like there's a progression and then it just gets it seems like it goes up and down like and then talking to some other people you know they say you know it's the, it's the political engine that suppresses or the religious engine that continues to suppress that creativity of of drag you know but i think hopefully we're on a upswing and it's going to get much bigger but even aren't some of the dr drag girls that you know aren't they much bigger outside the states i know australia is a huge market for them um, well there's some that are just so big i mean huge they have more some of them have more followers than movie stars you yeah. know it's changed everything yeah it has changed it's it changed changed the whole game a little bit yeah, so you absolutely i mean god i wish they had it 20 years ago right <laughs> 
you get back to New York, New York from Berlin. The carry thing dies down. Uh, you have a great run with it, dies down. The YouTube thing breaks and you start uploading these parodies. Do you see instantly that, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing now? Or just to say, oh, let me, what else can I work on? Or is that no, something? I knew that I was onto something. Every video we put on did better. And I remember the first time one of them got like up to 100,000 views. I was like, oh my God. You know? <laughs> And still, that's a lot even today, but it's not, this was the dawn of YouTube. And so it was a big deal. I knew that I loved doing it so much. Again, like theater couture, I was like, I'm not making any money off of this yet. I eventually did from YouTube, but at the beginning, I certainly was not. And I was spending most of the money I was making performing in bars and clubs on producing and making these videos. Sure. They were very low rent, but it was still cost money. They weren't free. I had to pay people <laughs> and I had to pay the director and everything. And but was it hard finally create finally creating that YouTube engine, you know, financially to, to get them to be able to pay you? Because when I looked into it, it seemed always so difficult. It wasn't an easy thing to create something and have them pay you. It seemed like you had to jump through all two, these hoops. And there's two parts of that. I mean, when I did the Gaga stuff, and which was the peak for me for YouTube, like that did this was before it was monetized. So I didn't make any money from my video on YouTube at all. Now, if I had a video that big now, that would translate into impressive money. But at the time, it was none. And you weren't even concerned with um, subscribers then. It was all about views. views. <laughs> and now it's like you want the subscribers because that is what you want. You know, if you get a million people to watch a video, you have a million subscribers. You want a million then at least on every video. That's not how it worked back then. One, the Gaga stuff just completely changed. The, what I ended up making money from was it opened this whole other door to performing outside of the U.S. New York. Of New York. No, well, it was yeah. mostly in the U.S. I mean, I already was working a lot in Europe and I always kind of had a good standing in Europe, but I'd never played Des Moines or the, you know, anywhere in, in the United States with San Francisco, LA, Miami, and New York, maybe Boston or Philly or whatever. You know what I mean? Once that sh bad romance parody shit, my pants came out, I was performing everywhere and making the most money I'd ever made up to that point, certainly. So it definitely opened the door. The collaboration with Jackie B on the videos, does, is that just an instant thing that happens because you had to work in before with the with the plays or do you have to ask her or she's already doing videos? So when does the she collaboration- doing videos also. And we, at this point, I'm living in New York and she's in Los Angeles. So we weren't working together a lot. Jackie and I never stopped being friends, of course, but there was a long stretch where we didn't see each other very often. If I came to LA to do something, of course, we would see each other. And we weren't, no one was texting yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we would talk on the phone or whatever, but we weren't, we certainly were not estranged by any means at all, but we weren't communicating daily. And we didn't do videos together until much later. Again, just like with Theater Couture, I kind of organically found this group of people to work on these videos. Francis Legg, the director, Isaac and Matthew from Wig Bar doing the wigs and helping making props and costume. All the queens that said yes to come and be in them. All the dancers, Richard, who choreographed all of my videos. So again, it was just like, how did this, where did they come from? Like I didn't actively search, it just happened. And it formed this little, you know, nucleus of this group who all wanted to 
create right. and it wasn't about money and Just the, the like, love the love of the art to, to the love do something. of the art yeah. and so that felt like god how lucky am i that's happening again now it's happening for a third and again here out here in la and i'm like honey miss universe brings it okay <laughs> if you just ask she brings it what prompts you so how many videos do you have on? i haven't looked at how many videos roughly do you have on youtube oh my god hundreds i don't even know <laughs> i mean i don't even know so what prompts to what prompts you to actually from the YouTube creations? Is there I know you so you have you told us about Stephen King and that's like just amazing story. Is there anyone that reaches out that you have admired so much from the YouTube uh, YouTube career that well, says, "Oh, Sherry, I think I want to do something with you," or Sherry, can you do something in my work, well, my body I of work? I've heard lots of things from other people like. Mariah, someone sent me something like, I'm doing Mariah Carey's hair and she's watching your videos on her phone. She loves you. So things like that, a lot of. But Gaga is the only one that I've done who actually reached out. And that was because, you know, when, when I did the Shit My Pants video, it was just like this gift because for someone who does parody videos, no one gives you as much material to work with as Lady Gaga. <laughs> if you watch the bad romance video, the choreography, the hair, the makeup, the costumes, everything, it's like a motherfucking pinata of, you know, <laughs> material to work with. So there's that. Then there's, I was friends with Perez Hilton, who this is the peak of Perez's popularity. Sure. He's friends with Gaga. He puts, he's the one you know, again, give credit where credit is due. He's the one who put my video on his page, sent it to Gaga. She put it on her website. <laughs> She's texting it and posting it, sending me messages of like, oh, queen, I love you. And, you know, <laughs> that's, that, <great. laughs> that's not happening. It was huge. Now, I can't say it was the first drag viral video, but it was certainly the biggest of its time. <laughs> So what prompts you finally to move to Los Angeles, which is sort of like the most recent move you made? Yeah, the YouTube chapter kind of wound down. It just became very saturated and it was very difficult to get the kind of views. I felt that it was just kind of stalling. And and then I was like, okay, well now everyone in the world can make videos on their phones. So, and it's been 10 years, let's move on. Jackie and I had really started working together a lot more. We had commiserated actually about drag race being we were like well no one wants us anymore you know no one's booking us they only want queens that have been on drag race and at the same time we were like maybe our time working in bars and clubs is you know it's been enough maybe we need to look for to evolve and, and I must tell you on that on that note, like nobody wants you anymore. Because when I look at it, when I look, I don't watch Drag Race and, and, and nothing against Drag Race. But when I when I did watch the 30 seconds of Drag Race, I did or see the people that become very famous from them. There's only a small handful of people that have the talent that you guys have. I mean, there's so much majority of them are artistically genius, you know, image wise, in my opinion, as a director, producer, but there's nothing more besides that, that facade, if you will, but there are some extremely talented ones. But I mean, yes. when I see you guys, I mean, it's just, well, I mean, I there's mean, a lot of talent, like in there, there's gotta be another way, another, and I go, you guys do find another way, but there's, the, you know, something's down the pike. Cause I don't understand well, how, how that can sustain itself. Cause there's only a handful to, of talent. 
You have to, con I think the reason why I or Barla or Bunny or Coco, Jackie, all of uh, any of us have been performing for 30 years and more is because you have to have an ability to adapt and evolve period. You have to. I know tons of amazing, talented drag queens who don't perform anymore because they just really weren't able to adapt and evolve. And I don't fall down that rabbit hole about drag race. I mean, they're certainly genius performers that have been on that show. A lot of them are my friends before they were on that show. And like I said, 20 years ago, I would have crawled through glass to get on that show. It's funny how things all work out though. I think it really is. Well, yeah, but it just kind of like, like I said, we were talking and we were like, well, at the same, we don't really want, I don't want to perform at two o'clock in the morning in some club anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm done with that. So it really actually forced us to, okay, let's evolve. What are we going to do next? And Jackie was like, maybe we should do like the Golden Girls on stage live. And I was like, I like that idea. And we started doing that in LA and this led to us doing other you know, who's the boss, Three's Company, but all these other shows and kind of starting like a theater company here. And again, all these people started kind of clicking into place and we're like, oh, we, I think we have a company. And for five years before I moved here, I kept threatening to move here. And Jackie and I was, Jackie was like, if you move here, we can like have our own production company. We can do film and TV and theater and still have our live show that we do, but like in theaters and not in a bar. And I was like, okay. And finally I did do that move and here I am. And that's what we're doing. Just to step back for one second to the drag race girls. The gorgeous thing is there's some of, so many of them, I'm trying to think of how the right words because I don't want to sound wrong. They respect me and Jackie and Varla and Coco and they want to work with us and they do work with us. And so, you know, I appreciate that. And it's really, I don't feel threatened by these queens who have success on RuPaul's Drag Race. I feel like most people, of them, people, uh, people encompass and embrace others that have talent. People with talent embrace others that have talent. I believe. I believe too. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely the RuPaul is definitely. I mean, what an amazing movement that he's made for sure. I mean, there's no, there's nothing bad yes, about. And, I mean, and it trickles so, down to performers every, like me. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because like I said, it's legitimized it, and now I just shot a TV gig my first big TV gig last week for uh, Shonda Rhimes show, which 10 years ago, no, no, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> it, it, the drag queens on TV would have been like, you know, prostitutes or dead in a dumpster. And this was like, you know, a real role. And it was really, really cool awesome. and exciting. So anyway, like I said, I think RuPaul's Drag Race has legitimized and drag and people could see, oh, they're actually really talented. Yeah. Some are actors, some are dancers, some are singers, some are makeup artists, whatever. Mm -hmm. But they're talented and we can make money off of this. <laughs> There's money to be made. They have fans, they have following. So this is it's slightly off topic to back up a little bit. And I don't think I'm not sure if you're involved or not. But so when Madonna is on the MTV award, are, are you I wasn't that. 
Uh, yeah, that's why I thought you were one of the Madonnas. Like a virgin. <laughs> okay. So I can give you a little little history of how that how I like to think that came about. So I created a show called The Blonde Exhibition in 93, where I took all these Madonna impersonators and recreated her entire career on stage from beginning to end from that moment. We did it four years in a row. And the director of the MTV... video of that? Yes, many videos. <laughs> yeah. Where? <laughs> on, there's some on YouTube, but I, I can say... Yeah, so I was a huge Madonna fan growing up in high school. So I fell in love with Madonna. And then I came up with this idea because I knew all these Madonna impersonators that we're going to do every look she's ever done from the day she started to present. And so the director that year, it was a woman that directed that, I believe, or some somewhere in the higher ups, there was a woman involved in the directoring of that video. And she heard about the show from my publicist and they said, oh, fuck, we're not going to fly all those queens out. We'll just find our own queens. And so they took the idea and used and used <laughs> their own queens from New York. Oh, my God. But I was I was still was so flattered because my I, I just like oh my god my my idea just landed on MTV <laughs> that, all was, the... <laughs> that was a crazy I had so much fun that day I had so much fun I was in Barcelona working for the summer and I left early to come back to do that so so awesome it was so amazing so oh, that, yeah I thought that you were god. one of them that so. was the most that day I will never forget I had so much fun and did she talk to you guys post or, pre, or pre, yeah. that's awesome I, what I remember first of all we had to be sequestered because it was supposed to be a surprise, a surprise. So we had to go to the lincoln center in the morning and do a rehearsal and then we had to get dragged there and hang out there we couldn't leave at all and so all i remember is sitting in the audience waiting to rehearse, and like mary j mary j blige was sound checking um ricky martin it was the year of la vida loca like he was huge ricky martin was huge and it was just like so surreal and then when I was like a virgin, so I was first and I was like, well, I have to do it like she did on the VH1, you know, like come out in the wedding dress and roll. No, 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 no. There won't be time for that. Don't roll on the floor. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, of course I did. I'm like, fuck you. She's rolled on the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm rolling on the floor. <laughs> so um, I'm standing in the wings getting ready to go on. And it's me and Hedda Lettuce, Diana Ross, Paul McCartney, Little Kim. And I'm just sitting there standing between Diana Ross and Paul McCartney in Madonna drag. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, this is too much. And uh, yeah, Madonna was super cool and funny. Yeah, so that's not a little piece of trivia. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I thought you were one of the girl, one of the girls. That's really funny to me. You moved to LA. You uh, so do you have agents that represent you for the areas that you have talent in, like the literary and and stage and TV and film? Do you finally get an agent, or you have an agent for you've had an agent for a long time? Well, I've worked with different. I'm not signed with anyone for as a booking. I work with several different. I have a couple that are in Europe and a couple that are here. Yeah. It's so worked. the Shonda Rhimes things happens because that, of a well, breakdown when or? Here, when I moved here, I wanted to get a theatrical agent. So my management group, PEG, that I work with a lot, they handle a lot of the drag race girls. They got me a meeting at Clear Talent Group, CTG, which is a you know theatrical agent. And when I went to meet with them, I was like, well, I would love to like audition again as Keith as well as Sherry. It's not like I'm going to dump one for the other, but I wouldn't mind. And they were like, okay. And they made a list of things that they wanted me to do. And they said, and I did them. And so I've been auditioning in and out of drag. So the supermarket sweep thing. So that was a huge 
huge thing in my life the original one yeah. <laughs> like I auditioned for it and I wanted to be on I watched it religiously so how does that come about is it someone you know or they're looking Burr. for drag because that has to be one of the biggest stunt castings ever because to have ABC have two drag queens we got a call from <laughs> Diana at moniker management who does a lot of booking stuff also for me and Jackie Lady Bunny and she's like oh would you guys want to be on Supermarket Suite with Jackie and I were like yes <laughs> Well, it was, we had to jump through so many hoops. And finally they're like, okay, it's set. We're supposed to shoot in March. And then oh, wow. of course it kept getting put, oh, it's going to be April. It's going to be July. Finally, we get a call saying- It's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, literally, pretty much. They're like, it's happening. They, it was literally like, you have to go get COVID tested tomorrow. And so it, we kept still literally up to the minute when we were driving to the set, I was like, something's- not going to work. <laughs> and it actually did. And it was, I cannot wait for people to see it. I can't wait to see it because I'm like, this is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> yes. I'm too middle-aged and I use that term loosely <laughs> and in drag running around a supermarket. I mean, it's just going to be crazy. And it's going to be something that's going to be trending. When does it air? It airs soon, right? They won't tell us. Oh, I see. But it, the, 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 episode, the, the, the series starts yesterday. already or okay. Yesterday? It's out. I was okay. going to, I'm going to sit down and watch the premiere episode right now when we're done. I just emailed them two days ago. Like you guys, my mom's driving me crazy and everybody, <laughs> when is ours? And they're like, we haven't decided yet. I'm like, oh. Speaking of your mom and dad, what is the most, what are they the biggest fan? What projects are they that, you, that they like the most? Is there one project that you've done that your mom and dad think is the best? Like that's their favorite when they, well, when they share with their friends. They're like, here's our son and here's this. I don't know if they share that with their friends, <laughs> but they are very, they, my mom and dad are very cool. And especially my mom, but definitely my dad also very, very supportive and cool. They were so easy and cool about being gay, about drag. They're just, I'm so lucky to have them. My mom loves the shit my pants video. <laughs> and my dad, he doesn't really love the sexual ones, like about sucking cock. <laughs> but you know which one he loves? I did a parody of Alejandro called You're a Homo, which is calling out these conservative Republican anti-gay politicians who then get caught having sex in bathroom stalls. My dad loved that. That's a good one, yes. <laughs> what is your favorite project so far that you've done? I think the telephone parody with Peppermint would be my favorite only because it's a nine minute movie. And when I watch it, I'm like, how did we do that? Like. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have any money and yet we've got a cast of 60 people location like so many different locations and so many different costumes and so many people like dancing and shot in a day i'm like how the hell did we do that so i can watch that one and be literally be like okay i'm gonna pat myself on the back for that <laughs> <laughs> which I don't very often do. <laughs> when we have we have a, a goal or a love of the art. I mean, I see it all the time when people say, well, you got to do what you want to do. It's like, well, how am I going to do that? It's like, well, just start doing it and it's all going to happen. And it seems like it's always for the creative, talented one. It's just like you start the ball rolling and it just all falls. The universe wants you to continue it and wants you to make it happen somewhere or somehow. Yeah. I mean, I've I, done plenty of things for love and I've done plenty of things for money. And I'm always happier choosing the things for love. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So if you can, I know it's what would you like? I know you have a big project that you can't talk too much about that I saw you mentioned. I on can social now. Media. Oh, you can. Okay. So, so tell me, <laughs> actually, before you tell me that, what would Keith, aka Sherry Vine, what do you have a goal in your mind creatively that you want to achieve? Is there something that you still haven't done yet that you want to achieve as a creative person? Honey, so much. You still have a lot of, a, a lot of, a huge list of, on your bucket list still to accomplish creative, creatively. Oh my God. There's so much that I want. I wouldn't even call it a bucket list. I just have so many things that I would love to do, like ideas, like whatever. I know the minute that doing Sherry Vine stopped being fun, I would stop, but I can't even imagine that happening. If I were to make, you know, get a movie role as Keith and become a big whatever, I would never stop performing as Sherry Vine. Even if when I'm, I'm pray and pray and pray to the goddess that when I'm 80, I am still able to be trucked out once or twice a year to perform. You know what I mean? I That's how much I love it. So when you're speaking of being 80, so when you were in LA and your times that you visited, lived in LA and visited. So, you know, for, for 19 years, James Gypsy Hawk worked for me. Oh, yeah. And, and Gypsy, you know, when he retired, he was 80. Uh, when he left my show here in Palm Springs, he was 85. Wow. They all wearing uh, stilettos. Yeah. So he's yeah. still he's still alive and living in L.A. And just I got him a dog before he left the show. So he just lives with his friend uh, there in L.A. with his little dog. And he's still kicking it. And honey, I love <laughs> that. I want to be an old queen. Too. I mean, he, he'll I be so- I haven't I haven't sat down with him yet. I know most of his stories, but eventually I will get him on the podcast. But, Please uh, do, because yeah. I would love that. I remember seeing him at the studio back lot. Yeah, yeah. And he is from New York. He's from New York, New York, uh, you know, New Jersey originally. So he was in uh, New York at a he had a club that uh, the mob brand called uh, Gypsy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he has great stories. Uh, so this new project, is this something that so you had, I believe it's a, a show, a, a variety show. Is that the is yeah. it to be named still or is it your name, Sherry Vine Variety Show? Well, or- I did a variety show about eight years ago called She's Living for This, which was for Here TV that Josh from Theater Couture, he was the one who made that facilitated that to happen and directed it and produced it that was for here tv and it's currently on hulu if anyone wants to watch and ever since then i was like that was exactly what my dream job was because you get to sing perform play different characters have all these guests like the kind of like the carol burnett thing that you were honey exactly (laughs) enamored with yes not kind of (laughs) exactly Carol Burnett is my mantra. Everything I do, I'm like, what would Carol do? I knew that I wanted to do more of that. And so for several years, I've been working with Jacob from PEG to find a way to make this happen. How can we do a variety show? And now I can finally talk about it. It's been in the works for like a year, but everything is signed, sealed, delivered. It's happening. (laughs) And it's a variety show. It's going to, we're doing six episodes for out TV and we start shooting November 7th. See, luckily I got this in now because by the time that happens, you'll never have time for anyone. <laughs> no, please. I'm, I'm gonna be do, I'll never say no. I will never <laughs> say no to you. So um yeah, and it's just it, this one's gonna be called the Sherry Vine Variety Show. And it's on Out TV. Uh and do, do we have not slated yet for an air date Spring or 2021? Awesome. Any idea what you creatively might, what what might happen on there that might be interesting to us? Well, I wanted to make it different than She's Living for This, but it's still the variety show format. So we're just 
Will you have other queens on the oh, show? Yeah, honey, please. Of course, Jackie B. <laughs> in every episode, Bianca Del Rio, Alaska, Varla Jean Merman, Candace Kane, Peppermint, Bob the Drag Queen, and then some surprises that I'm not going to give away. Awesome. So slightly before we end, Alaska Thunderfuck. So is it me or is there some sort of weird similarities between you two? Well, everyone says that's so a <laughs> you. And I've always, ever, since we became friends, I'm like, one day we're going to, we have to do some kind of mother-daughter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I did, she hosted this event like two weeks ago for Miss Hell's Kitchen online, of course. And I was just coming on as a guest and I sign in and we're wearing the exact wig. <laughs> and, and we're both in purple. <laughs> and I was like, bitch, <laughs> we were cracking up because we're like, it wasn't planned at all. But yeah, a lot of people say that. Yeah, I've only seen him a couple of times, but you know, I see such a, like there's a weird creative connection there. Like the talking and the look looks similar, you know, even I think even as a boys, yes. like <laughs> several decades apart, but yes. <laughs> yeah. If you had, like, if you had a son, <laughs> if you had a son you, <laughs> back in college or something. Right. <laughs> Sherry, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Oh, was, honey. It was my pleasure, and I sincerely apologize. It's very out of character. I'm never tardy. <laughs> so thank you for waiting. No, I, I'd love to get to dive into such so much more people's histories rather than just who they are today and what they you know what they've done in the past and how they got to where yeah, they are. Yeah, we pretty today. much hit every spot. Yeah, yeah. So it's time. I'm sure you have have plenty to write a book. It's probably probably coming out soon i assume you're so personable so i think a book's in your calling if you haven't written one yet um, no not for i probably won't do that that's not that's much later on yeah but you're so personable and so I take notes i've got lots of notes <laughs> so i thank you for your time i look forward to your show and look forward to one day meeting you you know it's unfortunate about martini's you know martini's oh, closing you know that i read on your social media um we've yeah. often been we've often been compared to martinis here at oscars at my restaurant and venue here in palm springs i so, will have to make a point to come and say hello because i come out to palm springs like once a month i've been going out and staying with bianca just to kind of get out of mm -hmm. la for two days just a change of scenery and so the next time I come down there, I'll like, yeah. have to look you up. I had, uh, you know, this speaking of projects and dreams and aspirations, you know, for when I got involved, uh, you know, I was, I was a big fan of La Caja Fall, that cabaret on oh, La Cienega. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then, you know, year in, I used to impersonate George Michael. That's how this all thing started. And I fell in love with drag queens and the art of it. And needless to say, you know, I fought it for a long time. I wanted to be a celebrity in my own right. I wanted to be a singer, all this crazy stuff. And then 30 years later, I'm still working with drag queens. So I'm like, I'll just embrace all this now because, you know, I mean, I started embracing it 10 years ago, but I'm like, I'm not going to fight this. I'm supposed to be a producer, a director, and, and someday I'll get my own club. I don't know how. So I started raising money and that didn't work. And then it just all fell on my, fell on my lap. And now I have a venue and thank God I didn't go aspire to raise $5 million and open this huge theater because I wouldn't, I have enough problems running this little 80 seat theater. You know, it's like, right, like right. so this is just my, my practice kit, but it's, it's, uh, I can, my look at some of the people that have helped me, I never imagined I'd be here. And here I am, you know, with the, with the restaurant and venue and it hosts a lot of drag queens. So. Oh my God. Well, I'm going to absolutely have to come by and say hello. So, please and I look forward to it so thank you so much for your you, for honey. this for this hour plus and um hopefully i'll meet you soon thank My you pleasure. sherry uh -huh. take care darling bye-bye
And remember, you all, my restaurant and entertainment venue, Oscars in downtown Palm Springs, where entertainment is on hold currently per COVID restrictions. But we are serving some great food most weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For a lovely meal and a lovely atmosphere, check out my restaurant, Oscars in downtown Palm Springs. We'll see you all there. Thank you for listening to Icon's Incredible Creation On Stage podcast hosted by Dan Gore. If you would like to know more about our wonderful host, follow Dan Gore at facebook.com slash lookalikes and at Oscars Downtown Palm Springs. If you enjoyed what you heard, hit subscribe and leave us a review. A new podcast every other week. Until then, have an iconic day.